To be or not to be? That is the question. But a more important question is, where's me pint? Oh, <laughs> oh hi. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Good Book Boys. Uh, I've It's been so long, I forgot the introduction. But I'm Good Book Boy number one, Alex. And I'm Good Book Boy number two, Josh. It has been a while, Alex. How's it going? It's going, it's going well. It's going. There's lots of good books in my life. This will be our listeners. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. This is our Christmas episode. It will, it will be our Christmas episode, uh, by virtue of the fact that it will be out, you know, around Christmas time. We didn't plan our time well enough to choose a appropriately Christmassy book, but um, you win some, you lose some. Um, so Merry Christmas. Hope you enjoy this. And if you wanna, if you wanna think about any christmas parallels you can think of go for go for your life it's a, f- a free country absolutely merry christmas to everyone i uh, hope you have a good break um but we aren't here to talk about holidays uh we're here to talk about books aren't we and not just books uh a, a book uh that pertains to uh well Perhaps you've heard of him, and his name will come up later. But um, a very famous author in his own right. So we are getting a bit, a bit meta in this case, and uh, we are discussing uh, Hamnet by um, Maggie O'Farrell. Did you ha- do you have the blue the blue cover? I do. Yeah. Do you, do you have a picture in the on the back page? I do. Yes. She looks like such a Maggie O'Farrell. Like she suits that name. So when you hear the name Maggie O'Farrell, listeners, whatever you're thinking, that's exactly what she looks like. That was my first takeaway. I promised that the review is going to get more in depth than that, but that was my, my first takeaway. And look, I can't say that that's that's immediately what I thought when I saw her, but now that you've mentioned it, I do agree that uh, that in this case, the name really does suit. Do you do you ever find do you ever find this is going off off topic immediately, but it's related mm-hmm. to your comment just then. Do you ever find that a face matches a voice if you've heard the voice first? Because personally, I never do. I Every single time, if I hear a voice first, whether it's on podcast or just like just hearing a voice without seeing a face and then seeing the face later, every time I'm surprised. Not every time, but certainly that podcast example is is a is a great example. You you don't realise you're building up a mental image of, of what they look like based on based on what you're hearing. And then yeah, there have been instances, especially with podcasts, I'm like, oh, that's who's been chatting with me. Like you just find yourself imagining something completely different. But it's it, it does it does sometimes suit. It's not a, it's not a complete miss as it sounds to be with you. Um, yes. Yeah, so Hamnet and. For, I mean, you you weren't too happy about this in the last episode. For those who have uh, listened back to back, um, but Hamnet um, is also interchangeable with Hamlet. So if that's a clue to who uh, who the meta individual writer that we're talking about today, I don't know what is. But we are of course talking about William Shakespeare, the uh, author or pertained author of Hamlet. Amongst others, uh, you know, a few other things as well. I think, yeah, I think he might have he might have done some some TV scripts in the 1970s. So I'm pretty sure I've heard that name before. <laughs> but and, and yet, and yet, it's not it's not fair to say that Hamnet is a book about about Shakespeare. And to that end, would you be able to read the blurb you've got on yours? Yes. 
On a summer's day in 1596, a young girl in Stratford-upon-Avon takes to her bed with a sudden fever. Her twin brother, Hamnet, searches everywhere for help. Why is nobody at home? Their mother, Agnes, is over a mile away in the garden where she grows medicinal herbs. Their father is working in London. Neither parent knows that Hamnet will not survive the week. Yes. So it's it's uh, there's, there's a lot we can talk about with this. Um, I guess in terms of structure, we've got two parallel storylines. Uh, one is of well, the, the the character is Shakespeare, though the Maggie O'Farrell never refers to him as such. It, it is Shakespeare. But yeah. I think I think to emphasize the point that this isn't just like a historical fiction about about shakespeare he's never he's never called as such he's called the 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 man or something something vague like that it is historically shakespeare um and that is and sort of his his progression and his you know finding his craft and particularly his relationship with this woman uh agnes now william shakespeare wasn't in a relationship with someone called Agnes. He was famously in a relationship with someone called Anne. But similar to the Hamnet issue, those names were used interchangeably at the time. Um, so I think, and I will get onto this, I think there were some instances in which Anne Hathaway was referred to as Angus, uh, Agnes Hathaway, and it's just one one version has been recorded over history. I and must, I must say that I, I'm glad we've kind of moved away from this sort of practice. Um, I think uh, the the less we do that, the less confused um, we're we're going to be. <laughs> yes, and look, it it makes sense for this where O'Farrell is sort of distinguishing it's. Uh, uh, it as a work of fiction by using these alternate names that have been sort of forgotten through history. So it doesn't make sense in this context, but generally speaking, just stick to one spelling. <laughs> it's, it's not that difficult. And actually, sorry, uh, I'll, cont- I'll continue my train of thought. Um, so that's one, that's one storyline. And the other storyline is the story of this boy Hamnet. Uh, this is set this obviously in the future well, not in the future. It's set in the past. Uh, it's set in the in the future of the previous storyline. It's about Shakespeare growing up, and it's about also about his son uh, falling ill and dying. These are two parallel stories. The first yeah. one takes place over many many years. The second storyline uh, it takes place over the course of a very very short amount of time, yeah, um, and they go back go back between the two of them, and then the sort of final act is dealing with the aftermath of uh, this child's death, which we don't need to preface with a spoiler because it's on the blurb. Um, Sorry, I am talking a lot, um, but I did want to say that in preparation to this, to sort of uh, distinguish the fact in the fiction, I did read a book I have on my shelf, uh, Bill Bryson's, it's just called Shakespeare. uh, It's just a a guide, sort of, not a guide, it's it's just a discussion of Shakespeare and the general... The general gist of it is how little we actually know about about the man himself. So in that regard, it was a sort of a fruitful target for your for your fictional um, a, a, a fruitful focus for your fictional folio. There you go. There's some alliteration. Yeah, I, well, I mean, off 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 the back of that, the the at the front of the book there is a historical note, and this mm. kind of sums up. I mean, that you know, O'Farrell would have done, you know, a, a stack of research and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But this 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 historical note kind of sums up the 
kind of fact-based element that this story is around, um, mm. and, and it kind of shows exactly how little we do know. And the historical note is, in the 1580s, a couple living in Henley Street, Stratford, had three children, Susanna, then Hamnet, and Judith, who were twins. The boy, Hamnet, died in 1596, aged 11. Four years or so later, the father wrote a play called Hamlet. That's, you know, that's about it. And that's all there really is based on, or based on, it's a really, really interesting book about, about this. But, um, so there's, rather than trying to make it as accurate as possible as you could with a world more documented historical figure, there's so much room to explore different personalities because as long as you stick to those basic facts, you know, and there's a few more there, like, you know, the records of marriage and records of other deaths there. But as, as, as long as you hit those, those, uh, main points you can do whatever you like with the story and that's what um maggie farrell has done uh, quite well on this would you like me to give you three facts about shakespeare that i gleaned from uh, bill bryson's shakespeare book please do so number one there is a i hope i'm remembering this correctly uh we have three uh, sorry we have six records of shakespeare's name in writing written by himself so he's of course all these historical documents He's written his name. He's written his name six times, and each time he spells Shakespeare differently, which I guess just mm. goes to show how fast and loose, you know, the English language was. It wasn't as codified. It was, you can just pick and drop whatever letters you like. But I thought it's very yeah. interesting that this this famous man of letters spelt his name differently each time, and and also none of those versions, I believe, are the Shakespeare spelling we use today. So. That just goes to show how funny language was. That's fact number one. Fact number two, we view, I say we, I mean admirers of Shakespeare, it, we generally accept all his sonnets, his, you know, which is a, a form of poet poetry. So he's, you know, probably most famous for his plays, but he also released these sonnets as well. And yep. they're sort of taken as this this big singular work. And that's almost completely arbitrary there's so little known about these about these sonnets and even if the way they're presented today are arranged in the right order if they're about the same person if they're about different people who they're dedicated to all of that is up for pure speculation so that's really interesting to think about when you're you're reading these these works as sort of a a, a canonized text so much of it has just been interpreted over time and it's just been accepted, much like, you know, the spelling of his name. Yeah, the, the, isn't there a common belief that a lot of it could have been written about this one mysterious lady? What do they refer That's to? Co- like the Lady uh, of the Night or something? Yes, the, 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 they refer to her as the as Dark Lady. Yep. Dark Lady, yeah, there we go. Um, but they're also, there's also speculation that it's, they're, they're, it's evidence of, of Shakespeare's homosexuality. There's so much you can read into it, but there's no definitive answers because, you know, so little information exists. Um, and the third one was uh, just generally, he was uh, well known at his time of death, but he was far from the most celebrated pr- playwright in the country. So he was, he was, he was, by the time he died, he was m- quite successful. He was comfortably living, you know, um, he wouldn't have struggled for money or anything, and he was well regarded in the the uh, theatrical community, but he was not the be all and end all. Um, that wouldn't come for another couple of hundreds of years when his sort of work was was reevaluated. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it takes, I guess it takes time to get to that sort of uh, status. Um, I've just, I've just wanted to also mention just um, when you were saying that this and kind of we were talking about how there's so much open for um, interpretation and that's really lended in Maggie uh, O'Farrell's favour here in writing this novel. It's a very different, you almost wouldn't, and we'll probably get into this, you wouldn't call this so much a historical fiction, um, probably more, well, I was going to reverse it, but it doesn't doesn't really make sense, does a it? Fiction, a, fi- a fictional, fictional history? history? Maybe. Yeah, um, yes. Unlike um, probably one of, you know, the biggest thing in the most recent years of historical fiction is um, is um, Wolf Hall and the Thomas Cromwell series, um, as written by Hilary Mantel, and that's very different. That is very much the in what way? Fiction. Well, because I guess as you were saying, there's not as much known about Shakespeare, whereas the the kind of Thomas Cromwell era era there's a lot more facts and detail. Um, that is known and especially about Thomas himself. So those books are very driven by um, things that actually things happen. that are yeah things that actually happened, things that were known. Um, and Hilary Mantel is a very detail orientated writer, so it's it's mm. you, you get a lot of kind of what people were wearing, what they were eating, how they would speak, all that kind of stuff. Whereas probably so the if biggest there's a, thing- if there's an argument in Wolf Hall, we can be pretty sure that that that's been recorded somewhere that actually yeah like like for example there's a segment where um someone's killed in the street um and it's i think the person who was murdered was one of the uh religious workers of someone or other i can't remember the detail but i looked it up and it was it's something that's been recorded in history so in that book you know pretty much everything there's some sort of document and source for it the biggest thing that came through for me in hamnet was it was a lot more ethereal and and kind of esoteric it wasn't really grounded in in the world or a world and in details and facts of that era it was a, it was more of a fictional piece to me that happened to be about someone who you know i mean we don't we can't even definitively say that he did live i guess um mm. but uh you know what I'm saying. So, um, I do, yeah. Yeah, I found it a really different kind of read. I was kind of coming at it a little bit more, I think, from that detail-oriented historical fiction um, sort of place. So I was I was a little bit uh, blindsided by the way that this book unfolded and how yeah, it, it felt be, to read. It wouldn't be fair to say you come away reading from reading Hamnet you know, with a greater historical understanding of Shakespeare. Um, no, but that's that's fine because that leads to such, you know, um, interesting sort of character developments and interesting moments that there would be no record of but are, are, are good for fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how, how did you feel about the um, the way that Maggie's gone about writing this novel and probably in conjunction with that how you feel about the title and kind of just the, I don't know, not the hype or faff, but just kind of the information around this book. What do you what do you mean when you say the information around this book? Like the historical information? Yeah, I just mean like how it's kind of billed as, you know, essentially a, a, a fictional reading of Shakespeare's life. I suppose the central question, and I imagine this is probably where um, O'Farrell started off is, as it said in historical uh, introduction at the start. Um, this man had a son called Hamnet. Three years later, who, d- who dies three years later. 
he writes a play called Hamlet. And you can't sort of ignore ignore that similarity there. And so my initial thought was going into it, it's going to be like, oh, look, I was like, look, come on, unless it turns out Shakespeare's son was the prince of Denmark who had, meets a ghost version of his dad, then you're sort of clutching at straws here. There's no way. It's just it's just that he liked the name, you know, he or maybe it was it was, you know, it was a little bit of like a, uh, a tribute to his son. Hey, this is my son's name. We're going to give it to the character of the prince. But nothing more than that, you know, I, because Hamlet is such a specific play about such specific events you know there's no way it could be directly inspired by anything that happened in the real Shakespeare's life but I thought O'Farrell did a really really admirable admirable job of sort of making that connection between Hamnet who did live and Hamlet the the play and, and the character um, and did a really good job of exploring the connection between those two and through the development of 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 Shakespeare, the character, and the pain he goes through losing his son, and how that's sort of also uh, paralleled with his own sort of creative growth and his own journey as an artist. And I think the, the ending, it came together a lot more satisfying than I thought perhaps it would. I yeah, think it's well done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that um, the way that Maggie folded in kind of Hamnet, uh, the character, his death and how that impacted Shakespeare and how that then kind of comes out in the play was a, you know, was a, I'd imagine that probably was the core strand that was the start of the novel um, Mm. in terms of from a creative process. Um, So I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. um, And I felt okay closing the book. I didn't have any particular qualms about how it ended or, um, you know, didn't feel like it was, you know, an ending that was left to the reader's interpretation or anything like that. Um, I found it an interesting choice that kind of Shakespeare himself is not really often front and centre, is kind of in the corner of your vision throughout this book. Um, mm. To a certain extent, I kind of wanted the book to be called Agnes, really. Mm, mm. um, And, yeah, Agnes is arguably, it takes, (laughs) pun very much intended, centre stage um, (laughs) in this. And I I think it was was a purely artistic choice to have this, to interpret the historical Anne Hathaway as this, uh, sort of this wild woman who's very much in touch with nature, um, mm. very almost almost like a witch. I don't think there's any. I mean, you think about the kind of woman who would marry Shakespeare. You think about like some like buttoned up old crone essentially. But um, it really really interesting interpretation of of the historical Anne Hathaway is almost like this this witch, this uh, wild woman, this sort of experimenting experimenting with herbs and magic and and folk remedies and stuff so i thought it was it was uh i thought it was necessary uh yeah and and throughout the story you see how this sort of this woman is able to i guess facilitate the 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 creative spark that makes shakespeare become the, the the shakespeare that we know it really is in many ways a book about women did you get that yeah, and you know, I really, I really loved Agnes as a character. I, I found her really well wrought, and um, 
quite an interesting character to read about. I think she was of all the people in the novel, she was my favorite. Um, I mean, I guess that's not surprising given she's given so much, um, so much uh, word time, I guess you'd say in a book context. Page time. Page time. There we go. Um, uh, and yeah, I do, I do, I do definitely see that it's kind of a book about the struggles of women and also specifically kind of in that time, um, mm. their, you know, it covers issues of their place in a family and in the home, uh, mm. kind of child rearing and childbirth, um, fairly front and center in this novel. Um, and it also kind of shows the, don't know if I'd say behind the scenes, but the behind the scenes kind of power and arrangement of um, of the people around them. Um, you know, like for example, Agnes in the in the novel kind of pushes Shakespeare to take the leap and get out of the kind of glove making business and go into London and try his hand at actually doing what he wanted to do. Um, you know, so it was, yeah, it it really highlighted all those, all those things that could have easily in a book like this been not about that. It could have been about, you know, look at Shakespeare and how good he is at writing. Yeah. And you know, even, even the way you just said it, then it, it could be easy to interpret that as, Oh, you know, this, this woman only exists as sort of like a, a vehicle to better, develop this this male protagonist uh you know that's that's all she's she's there for she's there because of because of the impact she has on on the male characters but i i think the book does does a fantastic job of sort of exploring that that feminine influence and i i think that's a necessary counter to to you know the fact that we do know you know as little as we know about Shakespeare, we know nothing about Anne Hathaway mm. except for the po- the points in her life where she intersects with this more famous man. And as you said, this focus on things like childbirth and and you know domesticity, um, and not just relegating that to the background and saying, "Yep, this is this is the stuff that just goes on behind the scenes. We don't need to talk about it." Actually, saying, "No, this is this is a massive part of women's lives. These women are making." everything function you know this is the influence mm. they have this is this is um the way they use this is how they use their own influence i think that's um that's a criticism um with a lot of a lot of sort of hi- historical fi- uh, yeah historical fiction and and i guess you know genres like like i'm thinking of things like tolkien where women barely exist at all you know yeah. um which is, you know, a long-standing criticism of them, but uh, of Tolkien's books, not of not of women in general. Um, you know, it's like like it's uh, these these worlds, whether they're f- historical or myth mythologi- mythological, myth anyway, magical, where it's just it's not a realm for for women. They, they mm. there's just no place for them. You know, uh, coming to mind, you know something i'm familiar with the the tintin stories for example which is not exactly historical fiction but it's not that it's not that you know the author maybe dislikes women or or uh, you know 
does it wants to wants to exclude the macho it's like no this is this is a this is an adventure world for 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 men and for males and for mm. in that particular case little boys so that's my very very long-winded way of saying the the things that have uh traditionally been rendered as behind the scenes or or not of important. not important yeah. have been brought to the forefront in this and i found that very very interesting i found that um yeah very very sort of enjoyable aspect of the book yeah definitely um the there are some tough things in this book given our current uh kind of place in time and where the world is at recently mm. um obviously hamnet dies that's kind of been covered and it's it's in the time for them of the you know the black death mm. um and it's just kind of amazing how many parallels there are to what we've kind of been going through um did you find that scene in the book showing how the um kind of disease traveled from um a glass maker i think i can't remember where exactly it starts but you know from one side of the world to the Oh no! It starts from a um a, a monkey and a that's right ship, that's, and a yeah, ship boy in a slave um, market or something. Yep, and how it travels from there all the way over around the world to um eventually culminating in um in you know Shakespeare and Agnes's home. Um, I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was a really really enjoyable and completely believable. And again, you know, we obviously don't know how the plague arrived in Britain, but we know you know the general area it would have come in from. And so it's a perfectly plausible uh, and very very detailed explanation of of how this something like this could happen. And mm. you know, it is as you said. Um, there are parallels, obviously. You know, it, it came through globalized, a globalized trade network, essentially. People and goods crossing borders um, and, you know, potentially spreading disease. I wouldn't say I was particularly – honestly, since since uh, COVID last year, I've, I've been noticing – like whenever there's a there's a you know a work of fiction that has like a plague or something in it, um I do I do take note of that. I didn't think this was particularly you know it didn't really shock me like wow this is this is completely relevant. But uh, I mean in a- any case, maybe because because of the fact that you know we, we do have protection now, um or at least quite a lot of us do. W- were you struck by the the similarities more so? Yeah, I think it was just um kind of seeing that same pattern uh, experience. I, I think, I think too, it was kind of, you know, we, at some point you learn about those historical things and I guess there hadn't been too much of a reassessment of that in my mind um, mm. from since I had learned about it to now. So it was just, it was just an, an interesting time to choose this novel, I think for me. Um, and it was came double edged too, because, um, obviously I had a son recently, mm. uh, sort of recently he's almost two. Um, so this, the, the kind of early to middle sections, which kind of deal with the illness, um, in Judith and then eventually in Hamnet, uh, were just so hard for me to read. Um, yeah, I I can imagine it would be, and like I thought this book, and again, you know, 
someone as someone who's childless even you know not having necessarily lost a child but even having a child i can imagine it 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 hits you differently but i thought this book captured grief so well yeah um, in the aftermath of hamnet just and you know this is from someone who hasn't experienced that kind of loss but um just the 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 way the author sort of captures that that absolute hopelessness and that and that that complete uh, earth-shattering loss and you know i guess i'm inclined to think because because it it would um back in the day you know you you if you have a child in like the 1500s it's a gamble if both you and the child are going to survive you know like that it's it really is a roll of the dice and obviously you know maternal and child cares come a long way in in the western world since then but that made me think like oh well they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to care that much if their if their child dies because they must know this is an accepted risk but i you know that that's that's absolutely not the case and it just it just you know does even if it's a fictional account it you losing a kid is losing a kid whether that's in 2021 or in, in 1558 it's it's mm. a it's a unshakable loss and i thought um o'farrell did such a such a fantastic job of 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 yeah exploring those feelings yeah agreed um and yeah it's interesting to see how it just kind of shatters the family dynamic Mm. um and we kind of see the early ramifications of that i mean we don't we don't really see much beyond that um but yeah the the sections that we do see i think are very very well well written and dealt with um uh in terms of the issues that arise. Did you feel like you said you liked the, the Agnes character? Mm. Um, did you feel, I guess, did you, no, none of the characters, and this is, this, this is probably a good thing. None of the characters seemed larger than life. Um, which is good if you want it to be completely realistic, you know, there, there's no, but there's no, characters characters if you get my drift there's no one you walk away and i oh at least for me that i found myself thinking back and remembering in in maybe some of the ways there are in in some of the other books we've read did did you did you feel like that realism was a was a plus or a uh did it make it drag maybe a little bit i look my the biggest thing that i struggled with this book was how do I even put this into words? I, f- I found it hard to grasp at any point firmly. Um, mm. I kind of mentioned at the top that in comparison to other historical fiction and even to other fiction works, this book does have a level of etherealness, of mm. kind of vaporness, mm. of like mm. just floating uh, along. It doesn't. It never felt truly anchored to me. Um, I see. And so I think that impacted on the characters a bit as well to the to the point that everyone was a little bit... Wispy? Yeah, wispy and glossy and kind of like they were distinct, but they weren't, they weren't as present as you would find in other novels, I think. Yeah. Um, it matched the tone that there was no, uh, you know, loud or larger-than-life character that kind of leaps 
out in comparison to others. I think that would have kind of made the book feel a little bit disjointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of the characters were there, not window dressing and not just just there to kind of emphasise Agnes and Shakespeare and Hamnet. Um, but those were the main kind of focus points um, in the novel and, and we kind of see the other characters through the experiences of those three characters. Yeah, and I guess that, that comes back to the double-edged sort of, of basing it on something that exists. You can't yeah. give Shakespeare a, a wacky brother-in-law who's, who rides a motorcycle or something because that you know that, that, that didn't exist. But that does mean the author is stuck trying to trying to develop everything she wants to develop with the characters using people that, you know, had to have existed and plausibly have interacted with these other characters. And I think mostly, mostly uh, she does a really good job of that. Um, but you're right. Some of them uh, do seem there. Maybe, maybe the author, if it was a work of pure fiction, probably could have changed them or added different characters uh to better uh, better articulate the development that that some of her main characters go through in my opinion yeah and i mean we also got to take into account that it's not a particularly long novel um our version boasts you know shy of 400 pages but it's very it's fairly large large Mm. lettering so um i i often find that there can be a challenge in novels of short to medium length to really truly um and deeply kind of write character um so that's always going to be going against you when you've got to try and develop characters move plot and communicate kind of ideas in kind of a short turnaround um something something has to be sacrificed and sometimes that is kind of depth in all characters or at least in terms of their interactions you know we do get a lot of that etherealness that gives a lot of um a lot a lot of impressions of them but but it it doesn't there's no i guess profound conversations or you know profound dialogue or anything a lot of it is yeah. sort of through that self-reflection which is fine you know look uh, despite you know i've often said i i i don't like to stop in a book i want to just keep going and just i, I want to get to the plot but i i didn't find this excessive or um exaggerated at all you know i'm thinking of one of the one of the earlier books we did uh the falconer Mm. and just a completely different different setting and context but how often that that narration would stop to dwell on something and to to delve into the character's thoughts and how during that i sort of i sort of you know found myself blanking out i didn't really find that with this i thought even even the the quote unquote boring bits were were very very interesting to read. So again, yeah. I, I applaud uh, Maggie for doing that very well. Yeah. Did you um was there anything that you found that was in conflict with the information you knew about Shakespeare in the book that you read preceding this, or did you find that you know it was because we don't know that much, it was okay to kind of fit into the the universe of Shakespeare? 
Yeah, look, I, I, I admired that. It's sort of like, it's sort of, it's akin to in in when you're part of a, a fandom and you sort of make up the gaps that exist in that fandom. That's sort of part of the fun because your limitations are you have to include what the author has put down for you already, but mm. providing you link up those things, anything can happen, you know, in between. Um, the, the one that always comes to my head is in one in one uh, scene in Doctor Who in like the the 1970s, uh, the, you see the Doctor, um, and he's got a he's got a tattoo on his arm. Now, of course, that's a tattoo that the actor had when he played Doctor Who. Like it wasn't makeup; it was that the actor had it. But how that that would subsequently be put into like novelizations later on about how he got that tattoo, you know, and just sort of sort of filling in the gaps there and so that was that was i really appreciated um o'farrell doing that with a historical figure so look for the record i doubt that i'd be very very surprised bill bryson doesn't talk about anything to do with with anne hathaway being a witch but uh or or a very least a a wild woman as she is um that is i think as a a creative liberty but that's that's fantastic like there's there's nothing in the historical records that says she wasn't you know and for this in this story it makes sense that she's the one who's able to bring out this creative spark in in uh this uh glove maker's son so by all means go for it uh, you know I, I i didn't find i i was very impressed with with the the choice the the distinction drawn between the the real and the and the the creative and the artistic and how those two um were were drawn together so nasty question no i thought it was thought it was well done did you have any any problems there no 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 i mean i don't i don't know that much um you know that they say we don't know much about Shakespeare. I know even less. Um, <laughs> so it's it wasn't a problem for me. Um, but I agree that uh, yeah, some of those artistic choices definitely add added some some welcome dynamics um, to you know what could have been a a fairly dry um, kind of rendering. Um, like it could just be it could just be some guy goes to London and 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 writes and writes plays, you know. And I think I think yeah. this is this is better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are you going to uh, throw up on your Goodreads in terms of a star rating? Um, probably the first half, I was, would probably give it a, a three, which is, you know, average, but wouldn't read it again. As we got towards more that 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 grief, and, you know, I'm not a guy who reads a lot of heavy novels, but, you know, when it's, when, when the, those feelings that are so hard to articulate were articulated so well, to, to really get me to, to feel the way this book did I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic so i would probably I'm, i i think i'd be very very happy giving it uh four out of five goodreads stars what about you josh lovely i quite enjoyed my time here i found it uh difficult to read um just around kind of death of children and um plagues so that knocks down maybe half a star for me so i'm going to give it three and a half stars Fantastic. Well, should we discuss what else we're reading, or would you like to know what you're reading come 2022 first? Let's see what we're reading come 2022. Well, we will, and I already have, because we finished this book a while ago, so I've made quite a head start on it. Uh, we will be reading and reviewing a our first instance of 
historical uh, alternate history uh-huh. in the uh-huh. form of uh, Philip Roth's 2004 novel, The Plot Against America, which uh, posits, which is written as a, as a memoir of a uh, Jewish boy growing up in the United States in which a, a uh, government that is sympathetic to the Nazis comes to power in 1940. Um, so written as a, as a memoir, but it's based on historical events that did not happen. And so far, I'm enjoying it. So I'm excited for you to crack into that as well. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I've been wanting to read some Philip Roth for a while. I didn't realize that he did um, or dabbled in alternate history. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but admittedly, I hadn't known much about him. Um, this was just a book I've, I found at secondhand store a while ago. I thought, yeah, I'll add that to the shelf. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what you think. I can't wait to get cracking into it. That's that'll be. That sounds like the perfect uh, kind of holiday break reading. Mm, 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 mm. I hope. I hope so. I mean, could be terrible. I haven't read all of it, but um, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. else have you been reading, Josh? Um, that's a good question, actually. I'm currently reading a Jonathan Franzen novel called The mm. Corrections, um, which is slow going for me at the moment. It's not really nighttime reading, and that's where I do most of my reading. So I've kind of um, been putting it off. <laughs> it, like it's it's a it's an interesting book. Um, my biggest criticism of it is that. Every character sucks, um, and I, uh, not not on like a they're poorly, meant to poorly suck. written, but like they're just they're just deeply flawed um, with mm. not many redeeming qualities, and it's I just can't like that's not realistic. Like we, you know how often books often books will be like the characters are too good, all the this characters the are too good, but this is the opposite. Where, like everyone sucks, and it just. Yeah. It's just a bit depressing to read, but it 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 um it does cover some interesting things. Um, it's also very it's kind of it's very American, it's very male, so I don't know. I'll finish it at some point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the other book that I finished, I think, between last time and now, although I probably should have checked to see if I had finished this by the time we did our last one, and we've kind of had an extended break before we did did this episode but yes um i finished i think i was mostly most of the way through last time but i finished middle march which um is probably the book of the year for me in terms of books that i read this year and enjoyed um so yeah i quite enjoyed my time there um and would recommend reading it so that's what i've been up to recently in terms of books strong recommendation how about you um well i've been selling some graphic novels online um i try to clear out when i when i put stuff onto the shelves and i thought i haven't read these comics in ages i'm gonna sell them and that sort of gave me an excuse to like read them one last time before i i uh, sold them so i've been reading a lot of batman which has been enjoyable um do any of them very enjoyable do, do any of them kind of make make it back onto the shelf like you've you've gone. I'm, you know, I haven't read these in a while. I'm going to sell them. Then you read them. You go. No, no, no. These are staying. So the temptation was there, but you know what it would be? It would be if I like them that much, I'll buy like multiple of them in a like a hardcover edition. So it's yep. like the options there. Um, if I like them that much to get them, I'll, I'll get the more expensive version. So it's not the exact same. But there were, there were some I'm reading. I'm like, oh, this is 
This is actually pretty good. But like again, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have reread it ever if I hadn't sold them. So yep. it can't be that good. Um, I've just finished a biography on Charlie Chaplin. I was going through his filmography um, on Blu-ray, and so that inspired me to read this. I've read a few um, biographies of him before. This has been a really, really interesting one. I find Chaplin very, very interesting. I don't know why. Um, very um, – I just I just sort of his artistic drive and the way he, he sort of just did the films he wanted to do and financed them and just – yeah, very, very, very interesting figure for me. On that, on that note, uh, another back to Shakespeare. Um, you know the the what you'd call the there there are there after he after Shakespeare's death, his plays were published in um, two formats. I think the the larger, more expensive format is called the folio, and the smaller, less esteemed. So I guess like the equivalent of like paperbacks today are called uh, quattros. Um, but of course, the 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 plays between that are published between the two of them, they don't sync up entirely. Um, they're not exactly the same. So you've got the choice of, or you know, I say you, we over the past four hundred years have had the choice of like, okay, which one is the is the definitive Shakespeare work? And you know, to the extent where there are some like additional lines that are published in the the quattro the cheaper versions like well that's the less prestigious version but it's got more content should we include that as part of the 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 core shakespeare text and it just got me thinking about things like director's cuts and you know what is the the final the final cut of the mm. of the film and thinking about how the the blue i've talked about this on instagram um the the blu-ray edition of chaplin's the gold rush uh is is a version that has his spoken word narration over it, which he, he, he released um, some uh, uh, 20 years after it first came out. So he sort of, you know, he did a George Lucas and recut it and, and spoke over it. But of course, which, which is um, easy to do with his films. It is because they're uh, famously silent, but that's not, besides what i think like that's not how the film originally came out you know like should we what is the what is the true edition of the gold rush is it is it the 1943 one because he made it later or is it the one that originally came out is that the version we accept and of course this debate rages on with most prominently with star wars because there are so many changes anyway that was just one comparison between Shakespeare and Chaplin. I was reading a Chaplin biography there we go i'm also reading a, a series called um uh, Baltimore by Mike Mignola, who did the Hellboy comics, which I've I've breezed through, and I'm reading some more stuff of his. Uh, vampires, plagues again in World War One, very very much up my alley, very gothic, very dark, um, lovely. That's what I've been reading. Well, I'm getting to the point where I'm losing count of your um your online presence, but uh, <laughs> where where should we where should we find you, Alex? Right. Hold on, he's been cracking my knuckles. All right, settle in. Best place to reach me is uh, on Instagram, LaTerature underscore, L-A-T-T-E-R-A-T-U-R-E. That's my general purpose Instagram. If you'd like to dig into a bit more specific things, uh, I also have a Goosebumps podcast, uh, which you can find on Instagram at goosebumps.podcast. The podcast is called uh, Gatsy on Goosebumps. And I've also got a Tintin podcast called Radio Tintin. Uh, which is tintin.podcast on Instagram. But go to Latte Richer 
underscore on Instagram, L-A-T-T-E-R-A-T-U-R-E. That would sort of redirect you to, to all my various other projects. But I do have I do have Christmas episodes coming out for both Gatsy on Goosebumps and Radio Tintin. So if those sound like things you're interested in, uh, give it a follow. If not, I I mean, you do what you leave. I don't blame you. you. Spend time with your family. I don't know. Um, you know, that's happy for you. Now, Josh, this is usually where I say where we can find you, and you say, but I'm not very active at the moment. But that's no longer the case. No, that is no longer the case. I um, you can find me at Hot Cup of Jazz on Instagram. Um, a few months ago, for whatever reason, all my other accounts got deleted. So I am now on Hot Cup of Jazz quite a lot um and i'm posting jazz content uh mostly jazz content i've I've folded in a little bit of personal stuff but it's mostly jazz content i'm also uh on the radio every wednesday night 8 till 10 p.m uh talking jazz listening to jazz um so if you're interested in jazz those are the places to go hot cup of jazz on instagram or rwpfm.com.au on a wednesday night to listen to some jazz and listen to me talk about and he does post reminders to listen to the show, which is good because yes, I completely I forget that it's on until I until I see that notification. So don't worry, you will get reminded. Good. Well, um, well. Uh, oh, it, uh, is that is that jolly old Saint Nick on the roof? Ah, oh, I don't know when this episode is going to come out. Hopefully, it's <laughs> va- vaguely Christmas time. Um, I'm so, just gonna uh, I'm gonna wait until New Year's now just to <laughs> just send it through. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, uh, we, we, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That's catchy. They should write a song about that. Um, I hope you get a lot of good books for Christmas. And uh, if you don't, um, that's all right. You can uh, just hope you're well and you're safe and uh, you've enjoyed this podcast over the course of 2021. Here's to more good books in 2022. But in the meantime, this is Good Book Boy, Alex. And good book boy Josh signing off for 2021. We'll be back in 2022 with some more good books. But until then, if it's not a good book, stick it in your stocking. <laughs>